We're the legends of the stoop. We're here to advocate, educate, and inspire society. Coming at you live from the south side. Welcome back to Legends of the Stoop. I am your host, Mike Pernice. Today's episode is brought to you by Follow the Trees, Ride the Vibe. Use our promo code, hashtag StoopLegends, at checkout through the CD. Discounts on all CBD products and merchandise. Today, the stoop is doing something a little different. You know, we like to diversify here. It is an open mic platform. Um, therefore, I have my good friend, Anthony, on set. Um, we're actually going to be discussing Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. Um, we'll get into a little bit further exactly what our topic is um, here shortly. But yeah, this is just something new. Um, you know, may or may not continue. We'll see. But uh how you doing? How are we doing? Good, Good to see you. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, who else would I rather work on my final project with in my, in our last, like last in the classroom, like semester. That's it. Yeah. So it's been a long, strange trip. <sighs> yeah. Especially <laughs> the last two semesters. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. The strangest uh, for everyone in yeah. the country and the world. Yeah. But uh, doesn't make it any less impactful for us. No, that's for sure. I mean, it's definitely, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely feeling like the Zoom fatigue at this point. Oh, yeah. Discussion boards, bro. No, I'm done. I've been I'm done with it. screaming into a screen for the past eight months. <laughs> that's all I've been doing. Right, the Zoom fatigue, is that what you called it? Yeah. I like it. Yeah, dude. It's just like, dude, my Monday, like, just like, I typically don't mind evening classes like i've taken a lot of night classes sure instead of you right and a lot of them together yeah um but just like that like late night like i'm in my room and it's like eight eight o'clock and like we're just getting off Mm -hmm. a zoom call and i'm just like i just listened to two lectures like back back to back back. from three to nine nine. yep and i'm just done like i can't do homework like my, my i need like my eyes hurt yep my head hurts like just from like you know sitting there and like focusing on the screen just gonna turn the light off for a second (laughs) just close the laptop like i can't do it and i didn't even have a laptop up until um i know this man used to work on his phone this right here in just the i would write full paper labs yeah Yeah. i would i would jump into uh like a canavan computer lab and college uh college hall computer lab and we that's that's where i spent a lot of time because I didn't have a laptop, yeah. uh, but I was lucky enough and unlucky enough that my wedding was postponed and my honeymoon was then postponed. So I was able to use a little bit of the honeymoon fund mm. to purchase uh, this laptop. This whole thing is just, it, the whole thing meaning the pandemic and the stay at home and the quarantine and all that has just further proven that there is a giant disparity between the haves and the have-nots in this country. And yeah, like, for sure. The, the haves didn't really have any issues you know they were able to work from home and their kids could then be in school at home and it wasn't you know it wasn't a huge uh disruptor right i mean don't get me wrong it was disruptive for everyone literally on the planet but it was a lot easier of a transition for certain people than it was for others yeah for sure um i wouldn't have spent the i don't know eight hundred dollars on this laptop if it wasn't if it wasn't for this i wouldn't have genuinely Because I made it through three years on my phone, and I was able to do that, yeah. uh, and it worked out pretty well. Well, I guess that's kind of what Spencer was doing with Fairy Queen. You how, know what I mean? how so? How so? Like, I mean, if you think about it, like, so we're going to, like, the first segment we'll get into here is just, like, women's role in the 16th century, and just in general, um, and then we'll touch upon uh, Spencer's, like, portrayal of women within the Fairy Queen. And like you know, this representation between like Elizabeth um, first, but um, in terms of like fixing things, like you know, the fairy queen he uses as like a critique, basically of the 16th century gender roles um, within England society, um, and this is like pretty evident um, within the text. 
But as you'll see, like we'll draw upon um, several scholarly articles, but then also backer claims as we would typically do in our essay. Yeah. You know. This is basically an oral essay. Yeah. <laughs> A group oral essay, because that's what the pandemic has done to higher education. <laughs> Put us all in the fetal position. Yeah. Um, but like basically what I want to do is just like start off um, with just like quoting um, – this article that we have pulled up. Um, it's uh, James DeBell's uh, Gender Obedience Authority in the 16th Century Women's Letters. Um, so basically, James um, DeBell's article um, goes ahead and analyzes letters of 16th century women. Mm -hmm. um, and these letters were written to both men and women of different like power levels within like England society. Okay. Um, and they go about, and when they're analyzing the letters, they're specifically looking at things such as, like, the language they use, the form, um, and then the modes of address. So, basically, these things dictate whether or not um, this person is acting in either an aggressive um, mentality mm -hmm. um, through, like, letter exchange. So, either from the person sending or receiving, but then also through that mode of address, they're able to, like, identify where these people are portrayed within the power level, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, obviously, like, if you're referring to the queen, like, you're going to dress it up versus, like, sure. if you're just talking, I don't know, maybe to your father, it's going to be on a level that's, like, slightly less formal, okay. unless um, evidence has shown um, it was typical for young women um, to typically address the father as in a, um, like, weakened state. Like a submissive, yeah. demure kind of Yeah, kind basically. Of, uh, sense. Yeah. Sure, that makes sense. Um, for the time. Yeah. For the record. For the, for the time. <laughs> makes yeah, sense for, sure. for, the, for the time. Yeah, like, if, if we didn't specify this as, like, 16th century um, England. Um, so the gender roles are obviously drastically different yes. <laughs> from today yeah. um but yeah i mean what's kind of like your take in terms of like where women were at in this time period um you know just like overall well they were seen mostly as like we said submissive to their male counterparts um women were not educated or were not educated well mm -hmm. um but the boys were um, like sisters to brothers weren't, but the brothers were. Right. Um, they were for child bearing, child rearing purposes to have sons, basically. Um, only men could uh, own land, mm -hmm. and that was sort of the the note of of prominence in England uh, right. at that time and throughout history in general. Oh, land ownership is kind of your your ticket to social mobility yeah and, and women could only achieve social mobility through marriage yeah um and even then you wouldn't see someone who was in the in the lower lowest class marrying like a lord of some kind you wouldn't really see that because lords would marry ladies and lower class people women would could only go up Right. step it, they weren't going to skip several steps so for the most part women were seen as this um secondary figure uh however we have seen through our studies and through just the historical historical context uh women are smart and strong and right. can be uh, can be the hero the heroine um in their own story uh but it society was not in their favor in yeah. that regard well and there's definitely a shift from when like before elizabeth takes a throne sure and then during and then thereafter like this like movement that she started yeah and you know it's kind of interesting um when we're talking about how spencer you know in this like his portrayal on women was almost the one where it's like i don't generally know if he is being like for lack of a better term like a smart ass sure 
You know what I mean? Sure. And just like, like I'm gonna point something out for you. Yep. But I'm gonna make you, the reader, determine whether or not like this is like this woman should have this like right of power. Yep. Like this much authority. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't really like as we go on. I feel like I'll we'll be able to build upon this. Yeah. Um, idea like I have a pretty good um, hypothesis that I'm like kind of sitting on right now. Don't tease me now. <laughs> um, but you know, it's I just like I just thought it was interesting to see this like grip of not only just like women within the time period, but then also like this role that women play as like female knight characters. Yeah, Britomart. Yeah, I think is the the first uh, the main name that comes to mind is that. She's a female knight, right? And she kicks major ass, like she is the real deal. Um, and even like uh, Mrs. Steal Your Girl at, at one point, <laughs> it's like she. There may have been some some female female loving going on with yeah. Britomart because you know she was she. I don't know how else to put it, but she was like that dude. Yeah. She she was the knight. Yeah. You know, we think of Red Cross as the knight, but in reality, Britomart was like the knight uh, and, and uh, an absolute heroine, an absolute just star. Uh, and I think, what was it, Elizabeth ruled for 45 years, something yeah. like that. And in that time, you're right, uh, the, the role of women or the perception of women uh, changed, I wouldn't say drastically, but it changed enough to the point where women could be seen as strong individuals. Mm -hmm. And not just uh, demure maidens. Yeah, I think is yeah, just like housewives. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's like bringing up since you brought up Britomart, I want to refer to um, Mary. I'm gonna butcher her name, Bill Ponix. Sure. Um, anyways, her article is uh, displacing feminine authority within the Fairy Queen, uh, and she goes ahead and like she suggested Britomart, who you stated. Um, represents or like reflects like Queen Elizabeth mm -hmm. um, basically is used as a way for Spencer to display his uncertainty of women's role within a society where masculine men traditionally hold power right um, basically she's insisting that that the only reason that this exists is because men were in charge of like creating the laws of their society yeah so obviously when you're creating like when you're the one creating the laws like and there's no other representation from any like other like minority group yeah. like you're going to be able to control your society and like dictate people's positions however you want them to be right you know what i mean it's yeah. like you're turning everybody else in, into a pawn and you're in a game of society yeah and we see that all the way from then all the way through history um up through modern day mm. um i mean the constitution of the united states wasn't signed by any women or people of color <laughs> uh you know what I mean? yeah. and it's yeah, you know true. the 1960s late 60s is when pretty much everyone in this country got the right to vote yeah. um, so that's you know like that this isn't a new concept yeah um when you make the rules you tend to make them for yourself and that's uh that's something that we definitely saw in Spencer's time, and that's why I think Elizabeth played such a heavy role uh, in in this in the Fairy Queen. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of like I saw what Spencer was trying to do for Elizabeth mm -hmm. um, through like this the through like following Britomart's like journey throughout the throughout the text. Yeah, and it was like. He's trying to, in essence, what I got was, like, basically break her away from this uh, gene, genocratacy. Wow, um, I think I'm butchering that word. Genealogy? No, no, not genealogy. It's uh, 23 me? I don't know. Generosyncrasy. Okay. Generosyncrasy. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah, you get with me? I got you. you get with me? Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. All right. So basically, <laughs> uh, generosyncrasy 
is like basically he's breaking Elizabeth away from this, and this is represented by the part in which he, um, like oh, Britomart looks into Merlin's looking glass, like mm-hmm. that enchanted mirror, and she. A lot of people like a lot of critics are saying that. I mean, well, it's even in the text, but that like when she sees, um, yeah, what's his name? So that's what I am. Arthigal. We know Britomart is a reflection of Elizabeth. Yes. To an extent, though. Yeah. Because she loses her chastity. And Elizabeth is known as the the chaste queen. She's right. The... That's where Elizabeth draws her power from her chastity. Yes. Where Britomart is perceived to draw her power through her chastity, mm-hmm. but she's really just a fucking kick-ass knight. Yeah, like she's just super dope. Yeah. Okay. So, in in this in this part right here in Book Three, Canto Two, uh, Section Three, it states of warlike uh, possidence in ages spent, be thou fair Britomart, whose praise I write, but of all the wisdom, be thou president or precedent. Precedent. Yeah. Close. There you go. Oh, sovereign queen, whose praise I would indict. So what she's doing here is like basically Spencer is differentiating Britomart from uh, Elizabeth right. in this essence where it's saying like Britomart is like it says right there warlike like she is a knight yeah where you know what I mean so she does have the ability to just like be a knight yeah not necessarily pulling her power her power doesn't necessarily come from her being chaz like it comes from the fact that she's a female knight yeah and who is it's it? an authoritarian like figure and yeah. mentality and people didn't like that about elizabeth yeah. and this is why she was perceived she took on this like motherly approach mm-hmm. where she used the court to appease the country sure. right and this is why we saw so much progression within like these gender roles within society yeah is all because of this difference in which women gain their power and like their authoritarian status yeah and Britomart, like one of the first times we see her, she gets attacked by two like Yeah. Two henchmen or whatever. Yeah. And she just beats them up. Right. With very little problem. Yeah. And she also unseats uh fucking um Gollum. Yeah. So yeah. I mean like in an essence, I mean, so sh- that's like like I said, like that even furthers like our point in which Britomart, yes, she does reflect like elizabeth in a point but i think she represents this um this like divide between elizabeth and the junior secrecy that is alluded to through Merlin's looking glass that relates to the egyptian the fall of the egyptian towers yeah and um if you give me one second um it's right here in the article. Uh, yeah, it's right here in the, it's actually in the same article that I was already quoting, uh, Mary Vilponex. Vilpon 2. Yeah. Oh, that looks right. So basically it's saying, um, Right here, in order, all right, so Spencer excuses Elizabeth from the junior secrecy of, um, I'm going to butcher the names again, but Penthesilia and Deborah, who are these, like, valorized women warriors, mm-hmm. right? And they're depicted in book three, Canto four, um, but Spencer excuses Elizabeth from this by undermining Britomart's like heroic warrior and emphasizing her like pure chastity and virtue as rare as it's quoted here um in order to accommodate the stanza's culmination in Elizabeth yeah so what does this really mean it just means that Spencer 
is like portraying Freedom Art in a neg- in a negative light when she is acting in a like masculine authoritative figure. Okay. Like within any scene of the book, and I feel like that's why she's withdrawn so much. It's an interesting take. It's a really interesting take. I like it. I also want to bring up the fact that that spear mm-hmm. uh, is a phallic object. Okay. And I don't think that should be overlooked. And maybe I'm maybe I'm pulling, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like a lot of power comes from phallic objects in the Fairy Queen: swords, spears, um, even trees. You know what I mean? Well, if you compare it to like Beowulf, for example, sure. I mean, there's a lot of weapons there too. So I wonder if it's a pull from that same period. Yeah, I mean, we, because that wouldn't that was was Beowulf was Beowulf written in, in like around the same or like I wonder if there was like a relation between Beowulf and like Chaucer since like you know Chaucer influences Spencer. Yeah, Beowulf was like an epic poem. Yeah, so that was written like that was a, yeah that a was long, a time, long ago. time ago. Yeah, yeah, um, but. I have no doubt that Chaucer would know it. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, you, men, male writers tend to write power in phallic objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous. That's why. Like, <laughs> that's why. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah. Know? It's uh, a spade is also anywhere. But <laughs> so I don't. I don't think that should be ignored. And later on, when we talk about um, violent acts uh, in particular. Yeah. There's gonna be a phallic object involved. Surprise, surprise. So, and uh, like you said, he's you know, Spencer's kind of a smartass. Yeah, we learn that uh, if you read the um, what is it, the calendar, Shepherd's yeah, calendar. calendar. If you read the Shepherd's calendar, um, really, if you read any of the Fairy Queen, it's just it's always like he's showing you he's smarter than you, mm-hmm. and it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a good read because it keeps you thinking and it keeps you it keeps you guessing like people can say that oh Brittamore was actually seeing herself as article um and we know that spencer's not afraid to make different characters different people mm-hmm. or to put uh to put arthur in a million different uh stories even though none of them are really connected right so it's you know he's he's always sort of flexing his literary muscles um and, and i think he's he kind of is just sort of a douche um, but a very, very talented dish. A very talented dish. And then just to, just sort of to put a nail uh, in the coffin of Elizabeth's uh, overall uh, influence on society at that time, mm-hmm. um, in the article which we have up here entitled Female Education in 16th and 17th Century England by Miriam Balmuth, uh, it, it talks about how... Uh, Elizabeth really pushed for the education of, of young women, mm-hmm. and um, there was the movement of the Protestant reformists, reformers and um, humanism, and a big proponent of this in England, and then eventually in America, was a man named Richard Mulcaster, okay. uh, and Richard Mulcaster was the, he was the most prominent proponent of educating women not just in the upper class, but throughout uh, the caste system, mm-hmm. basically. So a, a quote that we can pull from here is actually a quote from Richard Mulcaster himself uh, it, it, when asked, why should we, you know, educate women, basically, yeah. was the question. And why should we educate women of all social classes? The quote is, our country doth allow it, our duty doth enforce it, their aptness calls for it, their excellency commands it. And I think that is just a beautiful way of saying they're people too. They're just as smart as us. Yeah. They're they're just as quick and as clever, and they're just as apt as we are. And uh, for those reasons, there's no reason to not educate them. Yeah, and I feel like also too he's arguing that like by saying like our country doth allow our, our duty and forces. Like if we don't do this, then like this can like prevent like cause like a crack in our foundation yeah yeah you know you're, I mean? you're doing a disservice to your country right. um as as we know and the reason we've chosen education is because we believe every 
person should be educated. Right. Because a well-informed society is a well-working, well-oiled machine. You, yeah. I hate to think about a country as a machine, but <laughs> it's it's true that when you have a well-informed society, when you have a knowledgeable society, you can progress faster. You can yeah. progress more. And there's no reason to hold back this whole group just because they were born with different genitals than this group. That just doesn't make any sense. Right. And I think Molecaster, uh, who was heavily influenced by Elizabeth, uh, is is saying that, you know, they they are good to go. They can do this. Right. There's no reason not to. They can help us. Right. And you're holding back the country by not educating them. For so, sure. Uh, I think that's, that's a nice, I hate to use a man, a man's quote to wrap up uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth's influence <laughs> but if there was anyone who would be against it it would be this old white man he would be against you know educating uh, poor women yeah. because he wants to keep them in a complacent and a submissive role but he's so in, in, inspired by Elizabeth that you know he's a huge he's a huge proponent of it right and you know it's funny you mentioned like this like shift too because um, back in, like, Dave Bell's article, mm-hmm. um, he states that um, the letters, uh, and this is a direct quote, shed significant light on the nature of women's uh, social relationships and their complex position within a social and gendered um, hierarchical society where codes of female obedience and authority were set in constant tension to one another. Um therefore basically this like masculine theory of power within england should not be considered as like the sole blueprint sure. for this nation anymore sure you know what i mean like it's time to expand and to adapt a new way of thinking yep just taking things by force isn't the only way to do things and you can you can still progress um and build without having to kill people right so I dig it. I wish more people thought like that still, but <laughs> um, here we are. What do you say we move on to our, I guess what we really did, segment one and two there. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you say we move on to segment three, um, Spencer's portrayal of women um, in the Fairy Queen? Um, I don't know. I, I guess like I, I kind of touched upon this, both of us like kind of touched upon this already. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you don't really know if he's genuinely like doing this out of the goodness of like his heart, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or whether he's just like doing it to kind of be like an asshole, you know? Um, but I thought it was interesting that um, Blade Ford's article, um, the women in Spencer's allegory of love basically went, went ahead and examined the female characters, um, specifically like Amara, LPB, um, Florimel, Rajan, Rajan, Rajanda, Redigan, Redigan. Yeah, they're weird names. Yeah. they're yeah. strange names. And Bridgemark. I've I've made a I've made a personal goal to say as few out loud as possible. <laughs> it's very. Difficult. It's so hard because like there is so many characters to keep track of. Yeah. Um. You know, like, the plot maps were definitely a big help. Oh, yeah. Those were a big help this semester. Oh, yeah. I will say. Even though they gave me a migraine looking at them. <laughs> my eyes crossed. Dude, your last one was ridiculous. Your last one was ridiculous. I should have counted how many squares there were. <laughs> it probably I, think it was, I think it was the biggest. That had to be the biggest plot map. It was. It was. It was mentioned um, that we should try to switch out of it. <laughs> and that was the right suggestion. I remember that leaving class one yeah, day. that yeah. was the right suggestion. I sh- we should have tried to switch out of it, but we did it. It's done. It's fine. It's everything's cool. I'm not twitching at all. <laughs> everything's fine. Um. So this like concept basically of like Spencer's allegory of love mm-hmm. and the characters in which he um go ahead or in which Helford go ahead and analyzes for us. Um, basically give this um, sense that, like, Spencer's theory of love constructs a society in which, like, these masculine men are, um, 
like love women who are modest and like submissive um and like we see this a lot and as we'll touch upon later through this like act of aggression um but i just like wanted to get like your take on like what characters i guess like kind of like were pointed out like to you i guess um aramet is the first one or uh, amaret again i don't like to say them that well (laughs) a-m-o-r-e-t amaret i don't know she is the first one that like really comes out and sticks out to mind because she was uh, stolen by her husband in the first place Mm -hmm. and again we're going to touch on this in the next uh, in the next section but like she literally was just like yeet and just taken and and then was taken again and it's literally like she was just uh she was a hat that people liked and they took that hat when they wanted it yeah so amaret is is like the just so sad and again she's a main she's a main um topic in in the next section so i don't want to talk too much on her but she's something that like really bothers me it's like damn she was just trying to live her life and the the men just kept taking her um also um was it floramel that was just like good looking so all the men thought that she was it was her beauty yeah yeah, that she like drew like her power on yeah so all the men thought that like she, she they all fell in love with her and then right. and then they would turn into just absolute jerks because she was like no thanks yeah um not to mention oh, uh, oh goodness who is it who is it um what's the what's the what's the name mirabella 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 again is uh coming up the next section so i'll give a little teaser mirabella did nothing wrong except for be super good looking and say no thank you to a bunch of guys yeah that was it mirabella was just like no i'm good yeah i mean there was some colorful poetry that spencer threw in there about how but for the most part she was just like gorgeous and men liked her and she was just not interested yeah and then they killed themselves like and then they died so in reality it's like well what what did you want her to do she couldn't say no to or she couldn't say yes to all of them right so should she have said yes to the first and then the other 22 would have left her alone or if she would have said yes to the fifth would she be you know in trouble for the first four that died after she turned them out i don't know yeah so it's just like what are we doing eddie you know what, what are we doing I don't, I don't quite understand what we're going for so yeah i think those are those are the, the women that are sort of Demi- I mean, Brittemar's the exact opposite, where she's like masculine and strong, and um, also good-looking. I think that was mentioned there. I don't know if there are any ugly women in this in this story. <laughs> not that I no. can really remember. No. Uh, not that not that any that come to mind right away. So it's like uh, Spencer's. I don't know if he was writing super in-depth female characters, or if he was just writing super in-depth characters that happen to be female. Let's talk real quick about Flormel and uh, Belphoebe and their relation to Elizabeth. Cool, okay. Yeah, because we already touched upon Britomart's. We talked, yeah, we talked about how Britomart is, you know, sort of a reflection of her to some extent. Right. Uh, But main role is to break her from the junior sequency. Yeah. Um, Yeah, all right, so hit me. Well, how do we feel, how do we feel about uh, Flormel's sort of chastity or we, or do we think it's more um, Belphoebe's chastity, 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 yeah, chaste nature? Uh, <laughs> how do do we feel like um, one is more chaste than the other, and then that that would then reflect Elizabeth more, um, or do yeah. we think what what are our thoughts there? Well, I would I would say that Belphoebe is. She's the queen of chastity, right? Okay. Like she's she or she embodies chastity and the queen's pursuit of it. Okay. Where I would say Flormel is like this embodiment of beauty and beauty's power. Okay. Versus you know Belphoebe's power of chastity, um, which we've said earlier, Britomart loses. Because Britomart obviously gets married and has kids, um, which is kind of seen as like a 
kind of like slapped in the face, kind of like a, you know, like cough, cough to the queen, like saying like, hey, you could have, you know, built the next like it, like heir to the throne, sure. like you know, you could have produced the next heir to the throne. Yeah. Um, but you chose not to. Um, so I think we see Flormel basically use her beauty to project power, um, and Belphoebe to use chastity um, to project her power. Sure. So Flormel is more of like a maternal. Yeah, she's motherly. Yeah, figure. she's Queen Elizabeth's like projection out to society. Like Queen Elizabeth, like I said earlier, took on this like motherly like nature you know, like, role where she just wanted to appease her society. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that's where, like, I feel like that's a, like, a rep- representation of Flormel. So, so far we have Queen Elizabeth being represent- represented by Britomort, by Flormel, by Belphoebe. Mm-hmm. Um, do we think there's a female character in this book that doesn't have some mirroring to Elizabeth, or do we think um, they all represent some side of her, public or private. Um, I would say that this text generally, I think, is a critique slash praise of Elizabeth mm-hmm. and the anxiety in which she governed. I think that's like if I could, if I could like really make it as broad as, as I could. Mm-hmm. as a concept um that's the concept that i would choose um to label the fairy queen um you know it's like there's this nature in which spencer uses violence right to depict which is depicted like through either the character's involvement um, and or reaction to that scene that involves the violence that is juxtaposed to the gender roles within the 16th century society. Um, so I think like what we're kind of like getting ourselves into is the fact that when you induce scenes of violence, there always seems to be in the narrative of the fairy queen, this like abrupt, like shift in the point of the narrative mm-hmm. um typically in it's, it, like to me kind of reflects that like masculine like power authority and just being like you know taking the reins of like the progression of society and just like pulling the backwards sure you know what i mean so like that's where i file like when we're talking about like spencer's overall like just like his thoughts and feelings on women I just like I I generally think that once we go ahead and discuss this fourth segment, mm-hmm. I think you're really gonna see the fact that Spencer is not an advocate, in my opinion, for women's rights. I think he is somebody who recognizes that there is a problem. But I don't think he actually addresses how to fix that problem. So he's more of a critic type of role. Sure, sure. He, I, mean, I do think it's it's important to know um, how many different characters he chooses to reflect a different side of, uh, of Elizabeth. And in Paddleford's uh, essay, um, article, academic literature, the women in Spencer's allegory of love. There's a quote that I think really sort of condenses all of the all of the sides of Elizabeth that are present here. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be apparent that Amoret is made the special embodiment of grace and charm, Belphoebe of chastity, and Flormel of beauty. And that's if if Spencer is not a is not a um, proponent of or is not pushing for more women's rights and uh, more equal gender roles um he is at the very least uh on bended knee in front of elizabeth um at least in this regard saying you know you're pretty great yeah well i mean 
I think we might have touched upon this already, um, or this might have just been in our pre-discussion to shooting this, was the fact that, like, Spencer is, like, in, in, the, in the 16th century, it's all about, like, how you were saying, like, landowning. Yeah. You know, the way you dress, the, the way you present yourself, right? Like, those are the things that were deemed important. And I think this critique is really just Spencer, like, begging for this approval from the queen. Sure. You know what I mean? Or, like, let me ascend up to yeah. your level. You know I can what I mean? Be, like, I can be the Chaucer of this generation. Right. I can be, I can be the guy. Yeah, basically. For sure. Like he he wants to be like this like grand protagonist mm-hmm. for um, England. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. He he wants to be the hero of England. He wants to be the the literary hero of England. Basically, yeah. of his time. So I, it makes sense that he would suck up to the queen. Yeah, for sure. Resume. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about basically like the representation of like Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. through several characters um, within the Fairy Queen. Um, so I want to draw upon Susan Wood's article, um, Spencer and the Problem of the Woman's Role. Uh, so basically, she argues that like Spencer reveals um, his thoughts on women's role in society in book three, Canto Two, like right at the very beginning. Um, he notes that. Um, men refuse to credit women with any like prowess, morale, or prowess, um, prowess, prowess, you're marital, me. marital, yeah, thank you, more or less, yeah, um, nor do they allow them any like share in arms and chivalry. So basically, um, she's arguing that Woods, or I'm sorry, that Spencer, um, challenges the role of women within the 16th century society. Um, through, like, his, um, like, poetic choice to use Britomart. Because, like, we see Britomart, like, periodically throughout the text, but never just, like, you would expect the main character to be in the majority of the cantos, or I believe she's in, like, half, if not maybe less. Oh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so, like, this, like, this action of him like you know pull putting her in and then pulling her back out kind of thing basically is a representation of when he is like contradict like making contradictory statements on women's rule within the 16th century sure no that makes sense i mean he's i think though going back to a point you made earlier maybe he is offering a a solution let women do the same thing men do because they can. Yeah. Brittamore is a prime example that, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. You know, Brittamore is, is that doing it better. Yeah. Okay. So maybe, I don't know, but it's it's hard to tell exactly what he meant by certain things because he does write with arrogance. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm showing my bias here. I, I I like his writing, but sometimes it makes me mad. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's like, stop it you're doing too much you're 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 being like you're just being arrogant right now it's, right. it's it's written with an i'm smarter than you attitude yeah for sure um what do you say we move into segment four sure that we've been alluding to um which is basically i feel like we've built it up so much that yeah, it's gonna it's like basic i would say it's it's the it's the backbone of our argument sure i would say so Sure. I'd say it's the backbone. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Just um, weigh it all in this last 15-ish minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's all right, right? Um, well, I don't think we can talk about... Um, I don't think we can talk about violence in this, uh, in, in this um, book, or we can't talk about violence against women in this book without talking about Mirabella. Okay. And Mirabella, as I alluded to before, um, was just super good looking and really nice, mm-hmm. except for she didn't want these men. And these men then um, died <laughs> after she said, no, no, thank right. you. Um, so Mirabella, Mirabella uh, was brought and tried in front of the court of Cupid. Okay. Uh, and 
Spencer's text, and this comes from the article Spencer's Ravish. No, it's not. This comes from Mirabella's Crime and the Laws of Love and the Fairy Queen by, oh goodness, Danila Sokolov. <laughs> oh my gosh. The, um, names, the names, man. Uh, the names. <laughs> so this comes from Sokolov or Sokolov? I don't know. It's probably Russian. And uh, this states Spencer's sex suggests that Mirabella's actions can be also misconstrued as murder, which translates her trans- transgression into the language of the common law of felony. So basically, what that's saying is um, by Mirabella turning down these men and then, then them dying, she is on the hook for their murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you, when you put that into like a court, even though it's the court of Cupid, which is sort of fantastical, um, it makes it very real for the reader. You know, they can picture a courtroom, they can picture, you know, how, how that would look. Right. Uh, even if the guy on the bench has uh, an arrow and yeah, wings. <laughs> right. So, um, and then I just, I, re- I want to read this quote and bear with me. It's a little, it's a little lengthy, yeah, no, but it. the, it's, it's really to hammer home that she was just like good looking and a little arrogant. And this is right out of the text here. Right, right, out, right out of book six. Yes, directly out of book six. So Mirabella was decked with wondrous gifts of nature's grace, which did kindle a lowly fire in the hearts of many a knight and many a gentle squire. But the beautiful lady grew proud and insolent, scorned them all that low unto her meant. Uh, their deaths, so then, then they, you know, they, their deaths all like sort of get noticed on uh, St. Valentine's Day, which mm-hmm. again, Cupid's Day. Right. Um, so Cupid goes through the rows in which the names of all the love's folks were flied or filed. Uh, <laughs> and then he discovers that a lot of his uh, subjects are missing, um, quote unquote, dead or kept in bands or from their loves exiled or by some other violence despoiled. Um, Cupid then goes into the sort of like legality of it all. Okay. And the, the word directly from the text is violence. Book six, uh, Canto seven, page 33 to be exact. Violence. He, Cupid, and then by in turn, Spencer is equating uh, Mirabella going, no thanks. And maybe she was a little shitty about it. Maybe. Yeah. But he's equating that to a violent act of murder. Oh, yeah, because I mean, there's also like this you gotta remember like if we're comparing it to like how we've been comparing everything to to like that actual like historical concept like of this novel Mm -hmm. in the 16th century is like women don't have that right sure or should not right have that right right you have to turn me down right woman yeah like like going back to our argument of just like that submissive Mm -hmm. state you know that like spencer seems to really be like pulling at here yeah and and to to the extent where uh she is then she's originally sentenced to um i think it's death i have to double check that but she's sentenced and then he's like all right well maybe not that and he sentences her to save 23 souls for all of the souls all of the men that she said no to that then died she has to save the same amount of souls and that's her sentence um and this is this is so crazy to me uh that even when it's brought to arthur arthur's like yeah that checks out yeah arthur's this like benevolent figure this christ-like figure and even arthur's like yeah that makes sense so spencer is really saying something here to the point where he's like she shouldn't have said no she shouldn't have been uh stubborn she shouldn't have been this sort of like uh arrogant yeah. figure which is really ironic coming from him um but she shouldn't have done that because even arthur thinks that her sentence is appropriate yeah uh which is absolutely mind-boggling to me yeah it really challenges like her role for sure within the text and uh mirabella really stood strong to like the very end mm-hmm. um i have this quote from the text here um there it is so it's 
he which doth summons lovers to lovers judgment hall the damsel was attached and shortly brought unto the bar whereas she was arraigned but she thereto uh, not plead nor answer aught even for stubborn pride which her restrained so judgment passed as is by law ordained in cases like which when at last she saw her stubborn heart which love before disdain came stoop and falling down with humble awe cried mercy to abate the extremity of law. Uh, so that, that quote there uh, shows that Mirabella was really just a hard ass until, until a very end, until she was sentenced. Yeah. Um, and I respect that. I respect that because she was really just standing up for herself. Even though she was a little arrogant, that's no, you know, that's, that's no real crime committed, yeah. at least by today's standards. Right. Um, and talk about Mirabella some more. Or can, do you want to move on? No, I mean, like, if you want to, because I have some things to say about Amaret. About Amaret. Amaret. So Amaret, um, we so there are a lot of sad characters in the Fairy Queen, right? For sure. There's a lot of like, sort of like, oh, I feel bad for them kind of characters. Amaret tops that list for me. Because Amaret, you know, we talk about how Mirabella didn't really do anything. Right. Amaret did nothing wrong. <laughs> I feel so bad. Uh, Amaret, and I, I mentioned this earlier, so Scudamore, her fiancé, just took her. Yeah. Just took her. Yeah. And, like... Just robbed her. Robbed her. <laughs> she was like, I don't want to leave the Temple of Venus. Why are you taking me? And he yeah. was like, I don't care. Shut up. Get out of here. And then, and then he lost her. That same night, he lost her to, to abuse her reign. And what Abuserain yeah. do? Uh, Abuserain. Uh, did he rape her? Did he not rape her? I think he raped her. Um, but it's not, you know, abuse, it's, not it's not explicitly, explicitly said. Called out, but yeah. uh, but uh, Lordy B, was she tormented? Yeah. She was tormented. So, um, she's almost raped, but like probably raped and eaten alive uh, by Abuserain. And then, uh, much worse, she's tied to this pillar. And her chest is pierced by a long spear-like pen while her heart is then taken out and her blood is used as ink. I, I would like to mention another phallic object taking yeah. the life, taking the power of a woman. Right. Um, I don't think that should go unnoticed. This spear-like pen is like taking the heart and blood out of uh, Amaret for no good reason. She was just yeah. living her life in the House of Venus, and they were like, nope, we're done. So, uh, even the narrator was like, ah, this isn't cool. Yeah. Um, and the, the quote specifically is, ah, who can love the worker of her smart? Which, from what I've read, a lot of people, up until genuinely, like, the 90s, yeah. were, like, victim-blaming Amaret, basically. Yeah. And said she was the worker of her smart. But, but, God, look, come on. Let's, let's not be ridiculous here. Right. Buserain stole this stolen girl and then almost raped her and then like tried to eat her and then like stabbed her in the heart and used yeah. her blood. Like, so Buserain is the worker of Amaret's smart. Uh, this is absolutely an instance of violence against women. Uh, the cruel dart yeah. used. Is it a penis? I, I would say so. Maybe. I would say so. Probably. Probably. Can like. Can we say for sure? No. No. I, you know. Can we heavily infer? Sure. Sure. And <laughs> in, in, in my next life, I'm be like Eddie, baby. <laughs> Cruel dart was a penis, right? Yeah. He's gonna be like, yeah, it was a penis. So, so there's that. Um, so but there are also, there are other instances, in the Fairy Queen where rape is either actually perpetrated or almost happens or insinuated. Uh, for example, Una. Remember Una? Yeah. Uh, Sansloy, who, with beastly sin, thought to have her defiled. What are we doing? What's happening? Uh, Serena, laid on a sacrificial altar by cannibals, and they picked out their favorite body parts with, quote-unquote, lustful fantasies. Now, don't get me wrong, Michael. I have looked at a piece of steak, <laughs> and I have thought, mm, I want that steak. Right. But I've never been lustful for a piece of steak. So I have to imagine that these cannibals wanted to rape and then eat her, which is kind of gross. But like, when you think of 
people as objects or women as objects. It makes a little bit of sense. Um, and he, she had to be protected by like a priest of some sort, right. if I'm remembering correctly. So they would not rape her before they ate her. They, they picked out their, their choiciest parts. Um, oh, oh, my, my, my most mind blowing part of the whole book. And I mean this genuinely. Chrysogony? Chrysogon? Oh, yeah. Chrysler Town and Country? <laughs> I don't That one? She got pregnant from the sun. Pre- not S-O-N, S-U-N. Light and life giver was like, baby. Like, what? She didn't ask for that. She was laying. She was just enjoying the day. She yeah. wakes up, baby in her stomach. From the sun. It's like... In Spencer's world, there's nothing, there's no masculine energy that cannot take something feminine. Yeah. And I guess it, like, kind of makes you wonder then, you know, where, where is that boundary? And I guess it's, like, you know, because we were talking about Maribel and, like, just, like, the fact that she's saying no, right? It's just, like, where, where is the boundary yep. for this, like, authoritarian like masculineness to like overpower a being you know what i mean and it's like it's we've seen like consistently too just like it's almost like a theme of just like this invasion of women's like reproductive space Mm -hmm. is then used as just like this transition point within the narrative yep so like i I mentioned earlier it's just like this masculinity is grabbing like the reins of progression just yanking it back and so is it that spencer i think spencer is really just critiquing like when we're when we're talking it's just like we're critiquing the way that gender roles like we're drastically well not drastically but like we're definitely pushed forward under elizabeth's reign and just this like this state in which you have characters who female characters who show this like power is like men consistently trying to take that power away yeah and in my opinion, the only successful knight out of the whole book would then be Britomart. Yeah. Because she displayed her, 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 like, power when she defeated um, Gollum. It seems like the only, the only time Spencer thinks a woman can be, can gain power is through, quote-unquote, legitimate power. Mm. So, a queen, a knight, you know, this sort of social upper class feeling that that's the only time a woman can a woman can have any power yeah. is if they are a, an upper class yeah but there's definitely this for women i feel like he's he's really pointing out too like there's this like line that they have to toe between like power and obedience mm-hmm. you know what i mean Ma- is, traditionally masculine traditionally feminine energy yeah and which is why like i said like you know earlier that this that this text in itself is like uh like a critique of Elizabeth's reign, you mm-hmm. know, just during the 16th century. And like, there's there's an insane, a, insane amount of women who are being beaten or raped or almost raped or eaten or just treated downright poorly. That right. I have to wonder again, how did Spencer really feel about women? And also, because a lot of these women represented Elizabeth, how did Spencer really feel about Elizabeth? Right. If you know, if if he was going to to bend the knee, quote unquote, for her, um, then how far, you know, how far can he push the critique of her? Yeah. And it seems like he pushed it pretty far, but did it in a in a clever enough way where um, it may have gone unnoticed. Yeah. So Catherine Eggert's article, Spencer's Ravishment, uh, Rape, Rap- Rapture, and the Fairy Queen, mm-hmm. um, is like formulates an argument that is like that relies on uh, this concept. Uh, quote, poetry is most effective when it both, uh, one, portrays women being sexually assaulted, and two, describes its own operation 
as the phallic penetration and wounding of a defenseless and unwilling subject, uh, end quote. Um, so this is what we're here talking about is the fact that we have um, these characters that you've presented, like Amrit and Arabella, like these, like they're under attack, like they're defenseless. They have no like support, no power because they're being stripped of that power. Yeah. You know, so it's just kind of funny how um, she goes on to argue that the Fairy Queen supports this concept through Spencer's dull usage of the notion of ravishment and hints that the, po- that the, that the poem itself is a vehicle for rape. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's hard to argue against that. It's hard to argue against that because as, especially if you take these stories that we've just you know, posed in, at the end of this and you take them out of context, they're just really awful stories. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're well-written, sure, but they're really awful. And they're, it's something about the, this power dynamic that Spencer, that Spencer loves to tout that is uh, traditionally masculine will always win over traditionally feminine. And it's, it's, it, it kind of leaves you feeling a little skeevy. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it leaves a, a weird taste in your mouth because uh, you read scene after scene of, of women being taken or beaten or raped or eaten and it's just not um it makes you wonder why and it makes you wonder what is he saying um and it, it, it i don't always love it yeah. to be honest with you and it, it's kind of like all right well that was the 16th century you know we can we've moved past that and, and, and granted we have uh, but there are people who today think similarly mm-hmm. to that and that's a, a little troublesome if i can be honest with you yeah for sure but i think Catherine and i would uh would get along <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i mean i would definitely argue again that like spencer seems to be this more like not someone that's gonna address like provide a solution to the problem Mm -hmm. but more or less like identify that there is this problem and you know and it's all through like flattering the queen right to get his his status to advance like like we said he wants to be the next you know great poet of england he wants to have that power status you know i mean because it would just elevate him and then uh, his ability to then like affect society. So it's sort of an act of social protest literature while also uh, excelling his career. Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically to like wrap up our conclusion of the special edition of Legends of the Stoop, um, Fairy Queen edition, uh, <laughs> academic excellence yeah um basically uh i feel like it's appropriate just to like kind of like restate our like our thesis statement to basically like wrap us up uh so basically our th- thesis statement in, in an essence is like spencer's depiction of violence uh and its relation to the female characters like involved in the scene and their reaction within the scene uh is juxtaposed to the generals of the 16th century England, um, which uh, overall allude to Spencer's like own thoughts and feelings of um, the generals within 16th century England. Um, so yeah, that's like the premise of our argument. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this special edition um, with my friend Anthony. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me. Let's yeah. uh, let's do this again soon. And For sure. Let's uh, let's talk about other stuff yeah. next time. <laughs> <laughs> Some something a little bit less research. A little I less guess. research. A little more off the top of the head. Yeah. Maybe. A little, a little more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> sounds good. That sounds good. All right. Thank you. Yep. Um, this is uh, your host Mike Prince. Uh, thank you for stopping by the stoop today. Make sure to check out our website at www.legendsofthestoop.com. 
uh, to check out all of our podcast episodes and the services that we provide. And don't forget to use the promo code uh, hashtag StoopLegends in the checkout at Follow the Trees, Ride the Vibe to receive discounts on all CBD products and merchandise. Damn. I like it. We're the legends of the stoop. We're here to advocate, educate, and inspire society. Coming at you live from the south side. Make sure to tune into our website at www.legendsofthestoop.com. Use the hashtag on all social platforms. Stoop. Hashtag Stoop <laughs> Legends We the legends of the Stoop Coming at you live Right here in Southside www.legendsofthestoop.com